Winning the World Cup is hard. I know I'm not breaking any new ground with that statement, but it is true. Winning the World Cup is really, really hard. It's you against 31 other teams that also want to win the World Cup, and they're all going to try their absolute best to make sure that you don't get home with the trophy. Pretty much all of the odds are stacked against you. But what if I told you there were some tricks your team could use to boost their odds of making a deep run at the World Cup? Sounds pretty good, right? Today, we're going to talk about some of those tricks. Well, actually, university soccer coach, data analyst, and generally smart soccer guy Kieran Doyle is going to talk about those tricks. Kieran is a contributor to American Soccer Analysis and to Backheel.com, where he's just written this lovely piece called How to Win the World Cup by the Numbers. And that story is what we're talking about today. I'm Joe Lowry, and welcome to the Backheeled Show, where we bring you unique coverage of the United States men's national team in just 10 minutes or less. So hang out with us while you get up and stretch your legs, or while you mow half your lawn, or while you think back to that time when Kellen Acosta mastered the dark arts in the summer of 2021. That was fun, wasn't it? Here at Backheeled, we believe that just because soccer games are 90 minutes long doesn't mean that soccer podcasts have to be. So let's get to it and talk soccer. I'm now joined by Kieran Doyle to talk all about what the numbers say about how to win the World Cup. Kieran, thanks for being here. My pleasure. So, Kieran, let's dive into some of the trends that you found about what makes a good World Cup team. The first thing that you talked about in your How to Win the World Cup by the Numbers article was the value of a good defense. You wrote that seven of the last 10 World Cup finalists have featured an elite defense, and you define that as a team that was in the top five for fewest goals allowed per game. And then you continued, while only four of the last 10 finalists have been in the top five in goals scored. Why do you think, Kieran, having a strong defense is so important and really more important than having a good attack at a tournament like the World Cup? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a few things, right? Like, I think, first off, we have to be realistic about the circumstances that national teams are operating in. Uh, this isn't a club team where you have an eight-week preseason and then you have 10 games to build up before you play the title challenger. This is your amalgamation of 26 players from, if you're lucky, maybe 20 clubs, but could be 26 clubs with different ideas and different setups and different uh, coaches and different league contexts. And then you have, in this tournament's case, you have like an eight-day preseason. Uh, oh, and in between that, you have to travel 18 hours across the globe <laughs> sure. and, and get settled. And so I think it, just based on the context of everything that's going on, it's really, really difficult to establish complex attacking ideas. Like we see even in club club scenarios, it takes coaches years and I think on the defensive side of things, it's a little bit easier to get really organized more quickly. And we see that in the results. So does that same defense versus attack logic apply to other areas of the field? I know you wrote about the comparative value of strikers and goalkeepers. Is that roped into this thing too? Yeah. And and I, I said in the piece that, that that you see the Golden Glove winner, the Lev Yashin Award, as it was titled before, is really whoever wins that award, you're going really, really deep in the tournament. And, and there's a little bit of chicken and egg. Are, are they winning it because they went deep in the tournament or did they go deep in the tournament because they were the best goalkeeper? But I think we've seen, even in, in MLS this year and, and kind of over the past few years, that having a good goalkeeper is a huge floor raiser to to where you go in any sort of knockout competition. 
So I know, and listeners to this show will know, and Kieran, you certainly know, that the U.S. men's national team is outside the top group of favorites for this competition. But U.S. fans should feel somewhat encouraged by your findings here, right? I mean, the U.S.'s approach has been much tighter and more effective on the defensive side than it has been on the attacking end. I think this is actually what makes the U.S. such a a weird matchup for teams. And I think uh, they're maybe actually a little bit hard done by based on the teams they play in their group because they're also playing Wales and Iran, who are reasonably defensively sound teams who have attacking question marks, which is maybe not the best the best matchup for the US. But in terms of from a performance standpoint, you have a clear defensive identity with a good goalkeeper if Matt Turner plays. I think there's questions over what goalkeeper is going to play the games, and I think that opens up a whole different discussion. Um, and as we'll talk about after this, the, the U.S. have made a lot of their money on set pieces, which is just such is such a huge, huge, huge thing at tournaments. And I think, again, would it be nice to have that clear number nine who's going to lead the group and when you create the one chance is going to put it away? Yes. But I think the cohesive tactical identity and ability to suppress the opposition from scoring is huge. Okay, so you mentioned it there, Kieran. Let's get to set pieces. One topic that always heats up around international tournaments are dead balls. Things like free kicks and corner kicks and the chances that teams create from them. Based off of what you found, teams are scoring more and more set piece goals at the World Cup. Do you think the U.S. is well positioned to capitalize on set pieces in Qatar? I think like we're starting to see a huge emphasis on set pieces in in soccer in general. Like We just played an MLS Cup final where you have LAFC score off a corner, Philly score two goals off set pieces. Uh, the the sem- the conference finals games had a bunch of set piece goals. It, it's just a critical, critical, critical part of the game now. And FIFA published these really interesting reports showing kind of how the global trends change. And, and you see from South Africa 2010 to uh, the 2018 World Cup, we're going from 60 corners per goal to 30 corners per goal. And so I think when we look at the U.S., like like I said, the U.S. have histi- historically made a lot of money off of set pieces. Like if you think about some of the the like crowning moments in U.S. World Cup history, like that that headers off corners are like half of them, um, and even the Confederations Cup and, and stuff like that. So I think this is a really really nice place for this team to be. And I think when you look at guys like Weston McKenney, who is just Weston McKinney is a huge mismatch for, for anyone who marks him because you're not going to put a center back on him because you have to worry about the actual center backs. And he might be the best player in the air on your team. And you see him do it time and time and time after again. So you kind of teased this earlier, Kieran, but in your mind, after looking at the data, after coming through the numbers, what would the perfect World Cup team look like? And how close, and this is the bit you talked about a bit, how close or far away from that is the United States men's national team? If you're talking about kind of the optimal World Cup team, you're talking about a team that can maximize their ability one-off knockout games. And so it comes down to a few things, right? You've got to have a star goalkeeper. You have to have a really, really clear defensive identity that works. Um, And then you have to have some familiarity as a group to kind of do things from there. And then it's talking about set-piece expertise. So to me, if you're talking about the, the best World Cup teams that come to mind in recent memory, it's something like Spain in 2010, who have a top, top goalkeeper in Iker Casillas. They have really good set-piece performance in guys like Puyol, who who can get up and go get headers for you. But they're also 
their ability to keep possession defensively is a huge boon to their ability, where I think over the whole tournament, they only conceded two goals or something like that. To me, if you think about kind of the recent winners, that's the blueprint. In terms of the U.S., I think to me, there's a lot of reason to be positive. You have maybe the most talented midfield you've had ever, probably. You've got a really, really top goalkeeper if Matt Turner plays. You have a difference maker in Pulisic who has looked more explosive for Chelsea than he has in the past two years in his recent uh, cameo appearances and even the games he's starting, he's scoring. And then you have pretty clear defensive identity and you're pretty decent at set pieces. And I think, again, I don't think the group matches up super well for you, but if you find your way out of the group, I think you're a really, really tough round of 16 or quarterfinal matchup. Kieran Doyle, bring in some positivity that I think USMNT fans need. Kieran, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, where can people follow you and read your work? Uh, you can follow me at Kier Doyle on Twitter, and you can find my stuff uh, at ASA, Analysis Evolved, uh, on Twitter or at, uh, at Backhill. Uh, thanks for having me on, Joe. Boom. There will be a link to follow Kieran on Twitter in the show notes. That's it for this episode of the Backheel Show. If you're looking for more American soccer coverage, check out Backheel.com for stories on the USMNT, the World Cup, and much, much more. We'll talk to you again soon. We'll be right back.